about uh, Mount Ararat. This is just so cool. Global liquefaction, and yes, geology does prove it, and uh, there's just more and more that's coming out. It's just so cool. So now I, I got singing all over my ears. Okay, there, all, my ears, all over my ears. I tell you, it's going to be fun. On Mount Ararat, a volcanic mountain complex, pillow lava is found at the 14,000-foot level. Twenty um, uh, Pillow lava has been extruded underwater and is recognized as... As by its high glass content caused by very rapid cooling. All the igneous, or however you say that word, rocks examined on Ararat by geologist Clifford Burdick were highly glassy. Ararat apparently was submerged in water to above the present 14,000-foot level. It probably was built up under the water during the flood. The, the entire world must have been inundated at the same time. So what that says is that there is rock that's found at the very top of Mount Ararat, 14,000 feet high, that is only found underwater. Okay, there you go. I mean, there's just so much. I could read to you. I have pages and pages and pages of fun stuff like that. But just to get our brains back into the mindset of where we're at right now in Genesis, um, Noah and his wife and his three sons are coming out of the ark. And uh, remember, they didn't come out until the ground was completely dry. Uh, he, they really had begun to learn how to hear the voice of God and obey it and not do anything until he says, come out. I mean, sitting there in the ark for over 365 days and numerous of those days, there is no rain falling and the ark is no longer floating, but they would not get out of that ark until God said, go. And, uh, you know, that says a lot to us. We better not be getting out of no ark until God says, get out. Because uh, uh, the ground looked dry. Remember, we kind of talked about that. The ground looked dry, but it wasn't completely dry. You can read that in Genesis 8. It wasn't quite completely dry. If they would have gotten out ahead of time, what would have happened? They would have sunk down in mud. They would have got their little feet dirty. And God does not want you to get your feet even dirty. He wants you to obey him. And his timing is impeccable. So uh, let's go ahead and get started here with chapter 9. So uh, Noah built that ark. Remember, our, he, sorry, altar. It starts with an A. Uh, Noah built. Let's start in um, chapter eight, verse twenty. And this is where we kind of went last last time we we're together. That was such a fun night there before Easter. Uh, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal of every uh, clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on that altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So God is declaring at this moment in time that uh, everything is going to begin to, it's going to start following a pattern. And as long as the earth remains, everybody says, as long as the earth remains, there's going to be seed time, harvest, cold heat, summer, winter, day and night, and it will not cease. So we are now living in a dispensation where we can count on that. We can count on the fact that the earth will spin it will continue its travel around the sun. It will continue no matter what. That's what God has promised. And he also said in there, he will not destroy the earth with water. The next destruction of the earth is by fire. It is not by water. If you read 1 Peter, that's, when the, the earth, that's how the earth will be destroyed next. It will be with fire. It will not be with water. All right? So you got that? So there will come a day when this earth will pass away. And the new heaven and the new earth will come, and that will be by fire. Fire is a cleansing, fire is purifying, fire is something that burns up the dross and the, the, the stuff that's not supposed to remain, but what remains becomes even more pure. You got the Lord in your heart, you're going to withstand any fire that comes your way. Amen? So that's just kind of a little side note there. So uh, let's get started here in chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, have you heard that sentence from God at some point? We've heard this already. This is, this is kind of a repeat. So now God's giving us a repeat, but there's something different about this. Let's look at it a little bit and see if anybody gets it, okay? 
And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Does anybody notice something missing? Huh? What's missing? Flip back to Genesis. Well, no, it says in here, fill the earth, fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth. Okay, so flip back to Genesis. I believe it's two. My pink Bible, I could go straight to it, but... I'm sorry, I could go straight to it. Oh, uh, Genesis 1:28, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And rule over it. So there's something missing in the uh, when he, when God talked to Noah. What did he did not What did he not include in there? Subdue it. Kind of interesting. Now, what I want you to do is flip over to Ephesians 1:20. Ephesians 1:20. I want you to see something. This might help us understand the struggle that we're in right now. My pink Bible. What will happen if my pink Bible ever... It's coming. Are you there before I am? Ephesians 1, verse 22. He's talking about Jesus. Let's start a little bit earlier. Um, Let's start up at verse 15 just for fun. For this reason, too, I have... Having heard... of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Do not cease to, I do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the Lord of our, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what the hope of his calling, uh, what are the riches of his glory and his inheritance of the saints, and what is the surprising greatness, surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in, in accordance with the working of his strength, which he brought about in Christ. And he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things in subjection under his feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who now who fills all in all. So now, at this point, it's just kind of a fun little twist of this. Uh, God comes to know and he says, fill the earth, fruitful, be multiplied and all that kind of thing. But he doesn't necessarily tell him to go out and subdue it because that is going to happen when Jesus Christ comes. And he lays his life down. He overcomes death. And then, you know what? He raises up a thing called the church. And then under the church, then he will rule and subdue all things under his feet. (gasps) What? How did you find it? You are miraculous. (laughs) Okay, now it has to be really good, huh? I don't have nothing to blame. Where did you find it? Did I bring it? Oh, did you bring it, Sterling? Did you go home and get it? Sterling? No? My goodness. Yay. What? I left it all in the van. I drove the van. I didn't drive my car. See there? Okay. Okay, so be fruitful. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 9. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air. Have you ever wondered why the birds fly away from you? You know. Why? Why do they do that? Stay there so I can pet you. Well, this is why. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and upon every creature that moves along the earth and upon all the fish of the sea. Yeah, they even swim away from me and the wolves when they go fishing. Upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea, and they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. So now there's a shift. There's also a shift in diet. Remember I told you that at the beginning in Genesis, uh, God gave them all the green plants. And Adam and Eve and that first um, section of people before the flood, those they were what we believe to be very strongly vegetarian. They ate. God gave the green plants to them. Now whether they had switched over started eating uh, during that sinful time frame uh, between uh, Cain and uh, Noah and the flood, we don't know that for sure. But according to the word, 
They were vegetarian up until this point, and now meat is opened up to us. Everybody says, amen. Do we have any vegetarians in the house? Okay, everybody says amen. Okay. So um, the dread is on them. They, so now there's a hunt on between man and animal. And uh, this is, you know, all of you hunters and fishermen out there, this, your thing started right here. Because up until this time, it is thought or believed that the animals and man functioned much closer to each other. There was a lot more docility in the animals, and there was much more peace between man and animal. But at this point, there begins to be this animosity between man and animal. Animals run, flee. Men now are hunters and, and fishermen. All right? But you must not eat meat that has the lifeblood still in it. Ah, this is sounding familiar That now from a couple of weeks ago. Why not the lifeblood? Why, why can't we eat blood? Life's in the blood. And what does that mean? What do you what? Sin? The essence of that being is in that blood, and God did not want you to take in any essence of any other being until when? Until Jesus came. And Jesus blew their minds when, because for all these hundreds and hundreds of years, he, the law said, do not drink blood. That was one of their main things. The, the men were circumcised. The, no one could drink blood. Do not drink blood. They couldn't drink the, eat the flesh of a strangled animal. How come? The blood was still in it. Because all that had been done was the, the neck had been broke. No, you had to slit the neck, drain the blood, and then you could eat the meat. Until, until Jesus came along and he said one of some of the most incredible things. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And at that point, the huge crowds that were following him dropped away. And they began to plot his murder. Because at that point, he started to speak what they believed to be blasphemy. But what was truth was that it was, he was flipping religion on its ear. And he was changing it all up. And no longer would there have to be a sacrificial lamb constantly being killed for you so that you could have propitiation and stand before the Father and draw close again. Because remember, we're in a separation dispensation. We have to be able to come together. But instead, now we have Jesus. And uh, we drink of his blood in communion on a regular basis. Amen? And we take in his essence and his life. His was the only one that God had intended for humanity to ever take in. And we do it. Amen? And we are transformed. Hallelujah. So, but you must not eat meat, uh, verse 4, for, with its, that has its lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting I will demand an accounting for every animal, and from each man too, I will demand accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. This portion of scripture right here is where we get our capital punishment and where um, we believe very strongly and we have based our country for a very long time on the fact that if you murder, you must Give up your life. We believe in the death penalty, although that seems to be changing and uh, switching up somewhat. But uh, God put a very, very, very high priority and precedent on the life of humanity, even to the point that if an animal took your life, he would demand the accounting of that animal. So your life is not for you to take, nor anyone else. Your life sits in the hands of God. And this is where abortion becomes very, very, very disturbing. For God will demand an account. And you know, I pray, I pray, I pray daily for abortions and, and that this would not happen and that it would cease in our land. And I pray for the women who commit the abortions and have the abortions. But even more than that, I pray for the abortionist. For God will demand an accounting from the blood with those 
those doctors are spilling. In Jesus' name, just raise your hand right now. Oh, Father God, I just pray right now that there is a, a healing of our land and a, a repentance and a, a just bringing to our knees, Lord God, of, of forgiveness and humility over this thing in Jesus' name. And God, I just pray right now that you're moving. You are moving. You are moving in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm hearing more and more of abortion clinics closing, actually. And, yeah, there's a huge move towards that. The number of abortions are actually dropping off. And uh, so we need to take heart in this, and we need to continue to put in our prayers because it's not like it's for naught. That's how it works. Num- uh, verse 7, For as for you, the, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply in the earth and increase upon it. And then God said to Noah, And to his sons with him. Now I establish my covenant with you and with the descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. The birds, the livestock, and with all the animals. All those that came out of the ark with you. Every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant I am making between you and me and every living creature with you. A covenant with, for all generations to come. I will set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all of life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the cloud, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on earth. So Noah, uh, God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all of the earth. Now, I just want to let you know there's a total of five solid covenants that God makes. There's eight kind of, there's three more that are kind of, sometimes they call it a covenant. You know, it's kind of a not as cut and dried, but there are five. Okay? And this Noah one is the first one. There's going to be an Abraham one. There's going to be a Moses one. There's going to be a Jew. You know, there's, there's one. There's covenants that God cuts. What is a covenant? A covenant is a promise. A covenant is like a contract that God enters into with humanity, with, with another. We have covenants. What's a covenant that we enter into all the time? Marriage. Absolutely. It's something where two people have an agreement and they put a seal to it and there's a ceremony to it and there's a sign of it. And then those two people have sworn to their death to carry it out. Uh, Until death do us part. We are promising to that point. And that's what God does here. And he sets the rainbow in the cloud to be the seal, to be the sign. That when he sees that, he's reminded. And when we see it, we're reminded. Amen? That we can live in that. All right, let's keep going. Because it's going to get juicy here in a minute. Verse 18. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. It's very interesting. He's setting up something right now. We're going to next, the next chapter is going to be another genealogy chapter, so you don't want to miss next Saturday night. I will make it live for you. Um, But right now that he's kind of reaching in to the next chapter, and we're finding out that Ham is going to have a son, and his son, and his son's name is Canaan. What do we know about Canaan? Promised land. What else do you know about Canaan? Who lived in Canaan? The Jebusites, the Hebusites, the Nebusites, the Parasites. Right. But they're all Canaanites. Right? Okay, this is where they all come from. From Ham. These are the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over all the earth. So God says something here. There's eight people, three sons. Out of these three sons comes all the rest of humanity. We are all descendants of either Ham, Shem, or Japheth. Every single one of us. And I'm going to show you who you are. Okay? We're going to see it. We're going to see it. It's very, very interesting. So three sons, the whole, all of, um, all of the world. These are the three sons of Noah, and they, they scattered all over the earth. Uh, now, you know, something, I mean, one thing I'm going to talk about next week, too, next week's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, you know, at this point, everybody asks me, well, when, when did the cavemen come in? How about, like, the Neanderthal guy? How about, um, you know, where do these guys, where's the Ice Age? Where's, you know, 
where's those crazy, what are those cave guys, of the movie that, that came out with the cavemen? The Croods, yeah. Where did they come in? How do they fit into this? Well, I'm going to show you next week exactly where they fit in because it works. And I'm also going to show you where uh, the Ice Age fits and how it all comes together because it all fits. All right? So, but right now, let's keep moving on because we have some drama to unfold here. Verse 20. Noah, a man of the soil, a man of the soil, uh, some, one of, does any of your uh, translations call him a husbandman over here? So do you have King James? Husbandman. That's another word for a farmer. And if you remember, back prior to the flood, Noah was a farmer. He, was a, he worked the soil. This, is, this was his, his career, okay? Noah means comfort. And a lot of the old writings talk about how the fact that Noah brought comfort to his people during, you know, pre-flood by helping them with farming and learning. And, and actually, some of them attribute to him the plow. Now, if that's true, I don't know. And I'm not going to make a drama over it or whatever. But I just want you to see that he is a man of the soil. And uh, so Noah, being the man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. Now, I want you to see something. This takes time, right? takes time. They get off. He builds his, ark, his altar and he has his, his worship service. Then he has to go out and they have to build a house. And they have to do this and they have to do that. And they have to, um, and he plants a vineyard. So you have to plow and you got to, yeah. so lots of time has now processed and enough time has processed that, that uh, not only did he plant a vineyard, he drank some of its wine. So how long does it take to make some wine? Does it take a couple years to make wine? I mean, I don't know. I, we used to make our own root beer. Two weeks, you had a good bottle of root beer. My mom and we, so, you know, that's, that's kind of my extent with it. But um, so he's drinking wine. So we are definitely down the road some time is spent, right? So he, he drinks some wine and he becomes drunk. And he lays uncovered inside of his tent. How many of you have heard this story before? Okay. He's uncovered inside of his tent. So now I need to remember, we need to remember, who is this Noah guy? He was the only human being on the face of the planet worth saving. And he gets drunk. And he lays in his tent, uncovered. Well, you know, there's a lot of questions here, you know. I mean, where was his wife? What was she thinking at this moment? You know, maybe she was out shopping and, you know, I don't know. Women's retreat. Um, but we don't know. But the, the fact remains that he is human. We all are. Amen? And so Noah finds himself in a situation here. And a lot of the, a lot of the theologians, they, they like to think about all this. And they think, well, maybe they've, we've never heard of wine before. Maybe this is the first time he invented wine. He didn't know he was going to get drunk. So he just, like, was enjoying himself. And bam, there he was. So it really wasn't his fault. He didn't know what he was, you know, I mean, we don't know what the deal is here, right? Maybe prior to the flood, it was just weak wine. And this happened to be some really good bubbly that grew out of some really good grapes, you know, right after the flood. I don't know. But uh, we find himself, we find him drunk, okay? So he's, he's laying there, uh, uncovered in his tent. Verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, once again, they just want to keep making it sure that you know who the, his, this daddy is. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's, father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders, and they walked in backwards and covered their, their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away so that they would not see their father's nakedness. Now, this is a very, very interesting passage, and I could break this down in many, many, many different ways. But I want you to see something. I want you to see, once again now, we're starting to have divergence of types of lifestyles, okay? We've got Ham, who um, actually, in some of the old writings, they talk about Ham, about how evil he began to become. He was starting to mimic those sons of Cain. All right? So he was starting to do things that weren't right. And, uh, but Cain, or Ham, uh, when he saw his father's nakedness, he went outside of the tent. He became privy of an authority's issue. An authority, his father, had a failing. 
So Ham, when he saw that, there was something inside of him that began to delight. Something inside of him got excited. Something inside of him, it was a morsel down inside of his being that said, ha. And he ran outside of that tent and he began to spread the knowledge of his authority's failure. He began to spread the knowledge of his authority's failings. Ham saw his nakedness, saw his, his vulnerabilities, saw the things that were inappropriate, saw some things. Have you ever been close to authority and realized that they had failings? What did it stir inside of you? Did it stir delight? <sighs> now, I can, now I can set the world straight. How many times does Facebook fill up? with people who see failings in their authority and they go on Facebook and trumpet it out to the nations. We have to be ever so careful for it is not our role to expose authority in such a manner that there is no honor or dignity or respect. God does not take too kindly to this. And we have to be ever so careful. There are things that you can do when your authority has failed and needs confrontation. Because I am human. I am authority. And there are times I need to be confronted. Because there's times I do things wrong. So there's a right way and a wrong way when you incur, you know, incur, or, uh, yeah, confront or you come into contact with, with your authority that has issues. What should you do? Go to them. Go to them. I delight when I get a phone call. Joel, I need to talk to you. Okay, let's get together. Joel, you know, I, I'm very concerned. I see this and this and this. And I don't want anything to get ruined or broken. What is this? Help me understand. And I will listen to that. And I'm like, well, here's the truth to that. You know, sometimes there's other things you need to know. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, wow. And a whole problem, a whole church split, just was saved. Just was saved. Or I might say, oh my word, you're right. Pray for me, help me through this. You've just saved the ministry. You just saved me. Right? There is a way to deal with failings of your authority. And this is not the way to deal with the failings of your authority. He went out of the tent and broadcast everything to everyone. So what did the other two brothers do? Whole different thing. But Shem and Japheth took the garment and laid it across their shoulders and they walked in backwards. They did not want to discredit him. They didn't want to dishonor him even though he had already dishonored himself. So many times when leadership has dishonored themselves, we then feel the need to continue the dishonoring. But if you will honor because honor is due, not because they deserve it, because, but because God has placed them in, a whole, in, a, in an office, and the office deserves honor. So they took the robe and they took their, their garments and they walked in backwards. They, didn't, they wanted to honor him. They didn't, they didn't look at it. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't trumpet it. They, and they went back and they, they dropped the cloak onto, to his, and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so they would not see it. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, and we're going to go over this next little section, but I want you to see something here. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, there's a lot of speculation and there's a lot of thought about what does it mean in there about what was done to him. It could be 
that just the defamation of his character happened. And that is, that is the most obvious. But there is a lot, a lot of thought in the way the, the Hebrew is written that there was actually some, maybe some homosexual activity that happened. There, there could have been. I'm not saying that there was. Or that there was something that was done to him actually. Okay? So we don't know. But it was bad enough. It was bad enough to incur the next couple of sentences. And we have to understand. Oh, people of God, I'm going to keep coming back to this. The next couple of sentences that come from this have had incredible effect across the rest of humanity. And we live in it today. And what did it come from? It came from whatever was done to him. We don't understand it. We don't know it. But that is a very loaded couple of words right there. We will never know until we get to heaven and we have everything reopened up to us. Amen? I am going to go to all those history classes. I am going to sit there and I'm going to take notes. You're going to come with me? Okay. Because I want to know. But what we do know... What over there, you two? What we do know... Though, is that those, that, that man, that Ham, who was the father of Canaan, uncovered with disrespect and dishonor. When Noah awoke from his wine, he found out what his youngest son had done to him. Now, I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to diverge a little bit. Okay, can we diverge? I have 15 minutes. I'm going to do my best to not let you out late tonight. Hey, listen, I got out. We got out 30 minutes early from the women's retreat, okay? I just want you to know that. We can't apply that. I can't bank those minutes and put it here, okay? <laughs> we won't. I want rollover. <laughs> so I want to take a moment, though, and diverge. We're going to get down to this curse because it is an incredible thing. But I want to take a moment right now and divulge, divert myself away because... This is the first time in the Bible that, first of all, wine is mentioned, and second of all, drunkenness. So we want to, you know, I want to take a moment right now and tell you kind of where Dwayne and I stand as far as alcohol is concerned. Do you mind? Because it is a very, very interesting place that we find ourselves in right now, in society and in the church and just in general. Okay, so we're going to tell you where Dwayne and I stand. Okay? You all are going to have to make your own decisions because, unfortunately, the 11th commandment of do not drink is not written there. It would have helped everything if you would have just made 11. Just make 11. Thou shalt not. But there isn't. That's the problem. There is no commandment to not drink. So, therefore, we, as a church, cannot make our own opinion into a commandment. When we start making our own opinion into a commandment, we've become religious. And that's exactly what the Jews did. So be careful, all right? But let me tell you where Dwayne and I stand. First of all, you have to know that alcohol is not a sin. It is not. All the, all the lines of reason, Jesus drank wine, Jesus turned water into wine, um, there's a lot of Christians who believe that that wasn't really wine. It had no alcohol in it. It just was a really fruity juice. But you know what? It does say wine. It kind of does. So, I mean, I don't know where you stand. And you can maybe refute me on this. It was the best wine. You saved the best till last. So there was some fermentation in that we really believe. And I don't have a hard time believing that that was wine. That could, you know, the Bible does talk a lot about about wine and, and in the Bible times, you know, there's a lot of reasons. They didn't have refrigerators to put their milk in, so their milk would go bad. And But, you know, the wine wouldn't go bad because it just kept getting, you know, more and more. Um, I think, right? Okay. So, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. We are made, human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. What makes us different than the animals? How can we honestly say, I am made in the image of God, and Lily, the dog, is not? What is the difference between me and Lily? 
Reasoning and mind and choice. It's not my brain, because Lily has a brain. I have a brain. I have something more inside of me, beyond my brain, that makes me, that, that makes me the image of God. And that is that I have a mind. You see, God has a mind. He can create. He can think thoughts. He can, he can extrude things. He can make things. He can say things and dream things and construct things and engineer things. And he can choose things. And he can say that's right and that's wrong. He can do all sorts of things. He is master of the universe. That is God. And he then made man and woman in his image. And he gave you that same kind of mind. And you have this ability to say yes and no and good and bad and I will and I won't and that's good. I'll follow this. I won't do this. Everything. What does alcohol do? What is the first thing that alcohol wants to do? It removes the very thing that causes you, that separates you from animals and that what God has said, I will make man in my image. It removes it. I read all about it. You know, I was going to get all the scientific, scientific, scientific. What it does basically is it goes in and it puts your brain cells to sleep. Your frontal lobe first where all of your reasoning and your thoughts and your choices go. When we, now the Bible does not say don't drink, but it does say don't you dare get drunk. So I will tell you. The reason is that when you get drunk, what you have done is you have yielded your image and likeness that is of God up to whatever is around you. And now Satan comes in and he says, go punch that person. You're like, okay. (laughs) Or he says, you know, go over and have sex with that. And you're like, sure, why not? You know, and you go and do it. Or you, do you understand what I'm saying? What are you giving up when you get drunk? Giving up your image and likeness in God. Oh, that is more precious than anything. Don't yield it up for even one half a second in your life. You have things to do and places to go and people to change and word to proclaim and things to to invent and and incredible things. Why would you take the very gift that God has put upon you that he has labeled his image and anesthetize it? Do you get it? So here's the deal with alcohol. Can you drink without becoming drunk? How much can you drink without becoming drunk? How much before you start losing it? See, here's the problem. It's a very slow boiling of the... It's sneaky. It is so sneaky. And the problem is, is when that anesthetizes those parts of your brain, then you don't know what you're doing anymore. You know what I'm saying? Now, kids, who's under 21? Raise your hand. It is against the law for you to drink, so don't even think about it. It is against the law. Don't even think about it. Don't give me the line that says, the Bible, Jesus drank, so I'm going to. You are not going to drink because you are under the law to not say, okay. Promise? Raise your right hand. I will not drink alcohol in Jesus' name. WWJD, what would Joel do? Joel would come and slap you. So don't even try. Okay? It's all right. Oh, boy, my kids know exactly what happens when WWJD comes out. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is we cannot tell you to not drink. And there's so many scriptures in there. And I could just, we could spend the whole night talking about what alcohol is. But I beg of you, I beg of you, if you choose to drink, you better know where that line is because you don't want to give up the image and likeness and the power and the strength of what is in you because as soon as you let that slip out, Satan is right there and he's going to destroy you if he can. He's going to get you into a drunk driving accident. He's going to get you. He's going to get the police on you. I know it for a fact. I've seen it. 
he is going to cause so much havoc in your life because, but that he cannot bring into your life as long as you have your mind about you. That's our feeling. Now, Dwayne and I, we did not have alcohol in our house. We never have. We grew up in a very um, alcohol-abstinent household. We do not do it. We have no desire to do it. We have... Okay. Oh, I'll have to tell you that story. Okay, don't. Well, you brought it up. It's so funny. We have not... We have, him and I have never had a DUI. A DUI. Never once. We haven't. No, there's no other shoe. We just haven't. Because we've never even had to. We have never crossed that line. We don't even know how much it would take to get us drunk because we've never tried it. It probably wouldn't take much. So I'm not going to do it. So I, I don't want to put my life, impose my life on yours. And I'm not going to make a law out of something that is not in the Bible. I can't. But I ask you. To look at how we live and follow to what you can do. Proverbs 31, and then I'll move on. We'll finish up. Proverbs 31. Flip over there very quickly. Can you just pull it up on the screen? Galatians, Ephesians, Proverbs. The sayings of King Lemuel, Lemuel, King Lemuel, is actually King Solomon. This is the name that his mother called him. Proverbs 31, verse 1. The sayings of King Lemuel, this is is Solomon, an oracle his mother taught him. This is his mother speaking to King Solomon. Let's hear what she has to say to him. Oh, my son, oh, my son of my womb, my son of my vows, do not spend your strength on women. Girls are problems. Trouble, watch out. Okay, that's why I tell my boys. Do not spend your strength on women or your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Give beer to those who are perishing and wine to those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. In other words, if you are a king, if you are a leader, if you are a ruler, you better, now you got little, you got Solomon's mom now. She's wagging her finger at you. She's going, come on, baby, don't you even do it. Because that is for those who have to leave their problems. That are, You know what I mean? You are, you are not buried in so many problems that you have to go and, and drink your way out. You have the living God living inside of you with every answer inside of you. You don't need it. Okay, that's all. So are you okay with all that? So if I come to your house, you come to my house, you're not going to find anything. Better not. Well, he does like, he, he, one time he, 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 we're so pure. <laughs> we were at some people's house and he was thirsty and they had some Mike's Hard Lemonade right there. And he didn't know and he grabbed that thing. He started drinking that thing. He was enjoying himself. And I'm like, oh, you know, from across, I'm like. <laughs> and he's like, what? And then the next time I, no, it wasn't your zipper. It was this. And the next time I, <laughs> I, <laughs> The next time, the next thing I know, he's over underneath the light and he's reading it, you know, and he's like, and the next thing I know, I look out the window, he's in the van, he's backing it up, he's like, get in the van, we're leaving. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Sterling at that point, he was very young, knew that, that it was. Uh... I kept telling him, honey, this is the difference between soft drinks and hard lemonade, hard, soft drink. Okay. He didn't know. Isn't it fun? didn't know a, you didn't know a difference about it. Okay, so let's get back over here to, uh, let's finish up Genesis 9. When Noah awoke from, oh, if I come to your house and find alcohol, do you think I'm going to get all upset, angry, and curse your house? No, but I am going to pray for you that you will know your limit. And I'll tell you what, if you have struggled with alcoholism, don't. Just say no. You don't have to have it. There is a 
there is a spirit attached to it that makes you look and feel cool, that turns you into the biggest fool. So cool to fool. But I won't judge you, and we can't judge each other. I wish I could, but I can't. Okay, I don't. No, you know, I mean, like with the kids, when you're raised, it'd be so much, when it's black and white, it's so easy. But when it's not black and white, it's not easy. So do you all understand kind of where we stand? I hope I haven't offended you, and I hope you all keep coming to church. All right. I ha- have I offended anyone? Raise your hand if I've offended you. Okay. We'll, we'll talk after. Okay, so let's get on to this curse and be done. I have 30 seconds to do it. When Noah, oh, uh, verse 24, we're going to start there. We're going to run and start. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his younger son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, or the slave of slaves, depending on which um, uh, translation you have. Cursed be Canaan, the low. Okay, now wait a minute. Canaan, what about Canaan? Canaan didn't do anything. It was Ham. We're going to find that Ham has a bunch of sons. Why Canaan? No? No? We're going to find out, uh, if you look over in the next chapter, verse 6, he's not. The sons of Ham, and they usually write them in order, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The thought here is that the reason why the biblical writers here kept saying, Ham, the father of Canaan, was that Canaan was a part and parcel to the issue of whatever it was. Either he was in the tent with him, or there was there was something. He took part in what Ham took part in, and his particular line is going to get affected here in just a second. You ready? Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves. He will be to his brothers. He also said, "Blessed be the Lord God of Shem." May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth, and may Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. Okay, so for the sake of time, and next week we're going to go into this a lot deeper, but let me just give you the overview here. Canaan, Canaan and Ham and these sons, Canaan, they are the ones that are going to uh, come down into all the ites. Those ites are going to live in Canaan, that area that God has promised the children of Israel to. And he has said, all of these people now are cursed and they are called the slave of slaves and they will be slaves to Shem. Shem will go in, the sons of Shem. Who are the sons of Shem? The sons of Shem come down, the Semites. You can follow it down where you're going to see it's going to come, come all the way down to Abraham and into the Jewish people. So the Canaanite people, the people kind of, this is a mid, mid-eastern arm of, of people. They are now the slaves of the Jews. When, Ab- when Moses goes in, he goes into Canaan and he dis- decimates all of them, except for one, well, he doesn't, I wish, we wish they would have decimated all of them, but there wasn't a clean decimation. Uh, but one tribe in particular, the Gibeonites, fake some things. Uh, we could read it if I had time. And um, Moses gives them a pass. He lets them live. And then he finds out later that he was, he was tricked. He made them woodcutters and water carriers for the rest of their eternity to the, to the Israelites. But the most important thing here to understand, and we're just, I'm just touching on I'm going to give you a lot more information next week. But these people, these Mid-Easterners, these Middle East type of people, and I'm going to get more and more clear about that, they were cursed to become the slaves of the Shem, people of Shem, the Semites, the Jewish people. Who is in a huge war right now, and who wants to rise up and rebel and throw off this whole, who is it? It's those Muslims, it's that Middle Eastern branch. So that is all tied into this right here, okay? So now moving on, let's see right here. It says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. We do, this is the first, this is a Hebrew, this is a Jewish statement here. And he is declaring right now that that whole branch of people, the Shemites, are going to be a set-apart people for God. Blessed be the God of the Shemites. 
So he's setting that up, that those are going to become the Jews. Well, what about the Japhethites here? Well, uh, may, may God extend the territory of Japheth. So what God promises and the blessing here to the Japhethites is that expansion. They're going to become the biggest races all over the whole world. And their sons, um, they become those people that's been traced. I cannot wait to show you how this works out. But those people have been traced and they become the Europeans, the Romans, the Greeks. They come out. They become all of the, the Gentile people. Great expansion. Now hear this. May Japheth, the big guys, the Gentiles, live in the tents of Shem. Live in the tents of Shem. Are you getting it? What? Let me tell you. Live in the tents of Shem. Who's Shem? The Jewish people. Gentiles, the church. Whose tents do we dwell in? We dwell within the Jewish religion. Do you understand? We have been grafted in. We dwell in the tents, even though we are bigger than them. We are more numerous by by huge extents. Now we are in the tents. Amen? Oopsie. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. So 500 years on one side of the flood, he knew all those old guys. He knew all them. He watched the fall of half of mankind, or even up to all of it by the time he... Then he lived on the other side of the flood for 350 years. It is believed, depending on how you work your timing, he lived until Abraham was 58 years old. Noah and Abraham talked. Noah is an amazing man. Incredible man. Perfect? Absolutely not. Uses God? Absolutely. Amen? Let's all stand. Did you learn something today?